welcome. Psalm 33 has an unusual structure. It begins in its first three verses with a call to praise God. And then in verses 4 through to 19, it's the main lesson of the psalm. It's all about God's faithfulness and the way he keeps his promises and looks after his people. And then the last three verses, just as the first three verses began with praise, the last three verses end with prayer and seeking God for his help in current troubles. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. Each week in these talks, we look at a different psalm, uh, studying how to understand its meaning using the King James Bible and looking at it verse by verse and word by word. So today, Psalm 33, it has no ancient title, but let's begin by reading the first three verses, the call to praise God. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skilfully with a loud noise. Rejoice in the Lord, celebrate because of how good God is. It doesn't say that the righteous should rejoice in their own achievements, in their own successes, in their own victories. No, that would make them proud people. No, the righteous people rejoice in the Lord. They rejoice in how good God is. They rejoice in the wonderful things that he has done. The righteous, they're also called in verse 1, the upright. Those who do what is right, those who live their lives to please God. We're not saying that they are in themselves perfect. We're all sinners. We're saying that God declares them righteous, that they've turned to God. God's forgiven their sins. God's given them a right relationship with himself. And no wonder, because they are the people who rejoice in the Lord. They're not trusting in themselves. They're trusting in God. Praise, it says, is comely for the upright. Comely means it's right. It's fitting. Upright people, righteous people should praise God. Proud people, evil people never truly praise God. They praise themselves. They praise their own successes. They praise people who they want to flatter. But God's people praise the living God because they know that everything good comes from him. In verse 2, praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. The harp and the psaltery are both musical instruments with strings. Maybe this instrument of ten strings is a description of what the ancient psaltery was like. 
10 strings. It's playing the melody there. It's playing the melody on 10 notes, probably corresponding to the black notes of a modern piano, a pentatonic scale. And these are instruments which they make a fairly quiet sound, and so people would sing along with them. King David, of course, famously played the harp. And when he played the harp, Saul was, uh, was freed from the power of the spirit that was troubling him. Yes, God's people praise him with these musical instruments. They sing to him their songs of praise and God acts powerfully. God is a wonderful God. So we should, verse 3, sing unto him a new song. A new song. The Bible often speaks about a new song in connection with a fresh act of God to save his people from their troubles. When Israel's people were at the shores of the Red Sea and God had just saved them from the Egyptian army, then Miriam and Israel's women sang a new song to the Lord. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Oh, they're truly celebrating in God. They're truly rejoicing in God. And now that their praise is of God and their celebration is of God, they're ready for the main lesson of this psalm, which begins at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. God's word, his precious promises, the wonderful things that God says, every one of them is right. Every one of them is sure. Every one of them is certain. And all his works are done in truth. That word tr for truth is often translated faithfulness. It means God carries out the things that he has promised. Not one of his promises fails. What he has promised, he will certainly do. God made promises, so many promises in the Bible to Israel's people. And you may be sure he will carry out all those promises because they are his people. As it will say in verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. So Israel's people are praising God for his faithfulness and in verse 5, for his righteousness. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Righteousness. The fact that everything that God does is right. And he loves it when people behave like that too. When they choose to turn from their evil deeds and to do what he declares to be right. God also loves judgment. We would use the word justice today. When the right things happen in law, when poor people, when suffering people are given their rights and set free from their troubles, when evil people, when proud and cruel oppressors are, are defeated, God loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
That word for goodness is the same word that in the Bible is often translated loving kindness. It's describing the kindness of God, the kindness of God, not just to Israel's people, but to the whole earth. It's God who provides the food for every living creature. It's God who cares about the whole world. He is the God of all nations, although he is especially the God of his own people, Israel. And thinking about the earth and the earth as a whole, we've now got some statements in the next part of the psalm about the creation of the world. Verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. The word of the Lord. The same word of the Lord that in verse 4 is God's promises to his people. Yes, God's word reached out and made the heavens. You read the account of creation. And God said, let there be light. And God said. God didn't create anything without speaking his word. I suppose Perhaps if it, if it satisfied his nature and his eternal purposes, God could create things without speaking his word. God, God is the all-powerful God, after all. He can do anything. So God chose to speak his word. He chose to say, let there be light. And so the light was formed. And so with everything that God created... And here we read, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. In John chapter 1, it declares everything was made by the word. And we discover that the word means the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God. And so verse 6 is a verse that refers to the Father and the Son, the, the Messiah. Does it also refer to the Holy Spirit and all the host of them? By the breath of his mouth. Breath, that's the Hebrew word for spirit. Yes, we see the whole Father, Son and Holy Spirit working together in creation. All the host of them, all the host of the heavens. What does host mean? It means armies. The armies of the heavens. What are these armies? Well, at one level, we could be talking about the stars, which seem like a brilliant army in the sky at night. Or maybe we're thinking of harm in heaven. Maybe we're thinking of the vast armies of thousands upon thousands of angels who live to serve and to worship the living God. They too were created by God. They too were created by his word and by his breath. They too are part of the creation. And then we look at the sea in verse 7. God gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. What it's saying is that originally the sea covered the whole world, but God took it back. He made limits for it so that there would be dry land on which people would live. He took the waters back to free up the land for people to live on. He layeth up the deep in storehouses, storehouses, barns, treasuries. He hides his treasure away in the depth of the sea. 
pearls come from the sea. They're, they're produced in sea creatures called oysters. And God has his treasure houses of the sea. But what about the dry land? Well, there, verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the, inhabit let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Oh, all the people in every nation, not just Israel, should respect God. They, they should honour him. They should stand in awe of him. God is the God of the whole world. God is the God who, verse 9, spake and it was done. When God speaks his word, he carries it out. He commanded the earth to be created and it stood fast. Fast there means firm. The earth stood in its place because God had given the command that it should stand there. We look at those pictures from, from space and we see the earth hanging, as it says elsewhere in the Bible, upon nothing. How can it stand firm, hanging on nothing? Because God gave his word of command. What God commands happens. And if enemies are opposing God's people, if enemies are causing trouble, then what does God do about it? It is just a word from him that can defeat their plans totally. Verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Counsel really means advice. Their, their advice, their plans to oppose God. God opposes them though. The heathen, the people for Israel's people, the heathen were the people in the foreign nations round about them. None of those nations served the true God. Every one of those nations were cruel and evil. But God defeated their evil plans. He raised up David, his king, to oppose them. And David achieved victories on every side of Israel, not by his own efforts. Not by his own success or his own power or his own military forces, but because the Lord brought their counsel, their plans to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Again, the word devices there means plans. These nations made plans, plans to overthrow Israel, plans to kill David. It was God who made those of non-effect. It was God who defeated those plans. We've heard about the council, the plans of the heathen, the foreign nations. What about God's counsel? What about God's wisdom? God is wise. And verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. And we see these enemy nations, their plans utterly defeated by the word of God, but God's word itself standing firm, the thoughts of his heart to all generations, the people whom he loves, he always loves. His desires he carries out, he cares for his people.
And so the author of our psalm can declare in verse 12 that wonderful lesson, blessed or happy is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And we might say of all the people who have chosen as their God, the true and living God, they are blessed. They are truly happy, whichever nation they belong to. This particularly was about Israel, the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Yes, God chose a people in this world to be his inheritance, his particular possession, and they are Israel's people. And now people from all nations have chosen to serve the true and living God, and they come under that same blessing, the blessing that God gave to Abraham, that in you all the peoples of the earth can be blessed when they choose Abraham's God to be their God, the true and living God to be their God. Verse 13 turns to the subject of God as the judge now. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. God is looking down, God is examining the earth, He's watching what people are doing. People are called the sons of men, a way to express their human nature, their human weakness. God sees them in their weakness. Verse 14 repeats the same idea from the place of his habitation. That's a place where God lives in heaven or above the heavens. He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 15. He fashioned their hearts like. He made people to be like one another. He made them all. People in every nation. It's not as if people in his own nation are different from his own people. God considereth all their works. Paul goes into this in, in the book of Romans. He says, there's no difference in this regard between Israel's people, the Jewish people, and people in other nations. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all must be justified if they are to be justified, if they are to be righteous before God. It's got to be through the works of Jesus, the Messiah. God sees all the people on earth. And yet people trust in their own strength. They, they think that their own strength will defend them. We've seen mention of the heathen, the enemies who were around Israel earlier on. And they thought that they had strong armies. They thought they could defeat David because David, they didn't see that he had God supporting him. Verse 16 there is no king saved by the multitude of an host. An host, as we've already seen, means an army. The multitude of an host means how many people there are in the army. What it's saying here is that a king with a massive army cannot be sure of success in battle. He cannot be sure even of saving his own life. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. 
a mighty man, a strong warrior, a strong soldier, a man as strong as Goliath, can fight against little David, and he's not delivered by much strength. That strong man isn't rescued in the field of battle by his strength. Goliath was much stronger than David, but David trusted God and Goliath was defeated. A horse is much stronger than any person. But you think you can trust your horse in battle, verse 17. And horse is a vain thing for safety. In Bible days, um, horses were, were powerful in battle. They rushed in with great force, but they were also dangerous. The horse can throw its rider, or the horse itself can fall or get injured. The person riding a horse is not safe in battle. For all the horse's great strength, it cannot protect its rider. Neither shall he, the horse, deliver any by his great strength. No, God's people, God's people in battle, God's people in every situation, cannot trust their horses. They cannot trust the strength of their armies. They cannot trust their own physical strength. They must turn to God. They must trust God. They must trust God in every situation. And God who looks from heaven as the judge of evil people, is also looking at God's people. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. God is looking at those who respect him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Mercy means kindness. Hope means to expect him to do good things. Because of God's great kindness, these people who respect God, expect God to do good things. Those people who respect God are looking forward to what he's going to do and God will not disappoint them. The God who made those promises, his eye is upon them. He's watching them in their situation, in their danger. He's watching them, verse 19 to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. To deliver, to rescue. God delivers their soul from death. The word soul can simply mean a person's life. So uh, if they go into battle and God preserves their life in battle, it is God who's preserved their life. It's not their own military strength which has preserved them. But the word soul also means a person's inner life. And God is protecting the inner life of his people. He's protecting them. And even when they die, he continues to protect them. He takes them to safety. He takes them to their home in heaven. And when there is famine, when there is trouble in the land, when there is not enough food, God's people must turn to him. They must trust, put their trust in him who can preserve their lives in that trouble and even beyond death will preserve them and take them to be with him in heaven. And so we've heard the lesson and now we're up to the last three verses, the prayer in the psalm. 
our soul, the author writes, waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. That's verse 20. Oh, the author of the psalm declares that we're going to wait for God. We are those that hope in his mercy. We are those who with our soul, who deep within us, are expecting God to act on our behalf. We declare it. We declare that God is our help and our shield. Just as a soldier would hold up a shield to protect him in battle, God is the one who defends our lives. God is the one we trust. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Yes, we believe in the living God. We believe in his name, his character. We believe that his character is holy, that his character is perfect. We're confident that he will act in our, on our behalf. We're confident that our hope will not be disappointed. Our, hope, our heart shall rejoice in God. Verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Yes, God, we're expecting you to act. Our hope is in on you. Therefore, may your mercy, your kindness, be upon us. Show us that great kindness that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, but we put our trust in you. And so we are confident that in accordance with your perfect character, you will act to save us from our troubles. Please write to me, my email address, 333kjv at gmail.com. My name's Keith Simons, that email address again, 333kjv at gmail.com. And now let me read you the whole of Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skilfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap, he layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of non-effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart 
to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth, he fashioneth their hearts alike, he considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. An horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee.